Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners, and welcome to the 28th episode of the show that brings the latest in clean energy right to your ears. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I wish you and your loved ones health and safety during this time. In this episode, I am sitting down with two clean energy leaders in North Carolina who are leading the charge, pun fully intended, for electric vehicles and EV charging in our state. Both of our guests today are women, which is a great segue to mention NCSEA's Women in Clean Energy initiative. Women in Clean Energy, or WISE, is a project with the goal of fostering a network of support, camaraderie, and opportunity for self-identifying women in the North Carolina clean energy industry. We recently launched our first WISE mentorship program, which is providing career development and networking opportunities for women in our field. So if you are interested in becoming a mentor, mentee, or just want to learn more about this awesome initiative, please visit energync.org WISE. And today's featured member shout out goes to our valued NCSEA member, Bradley Arant Bolt Cummings, LLP. Okay, well, let's get rolling with this fully charged episode. And of course, the puns were fully intended. Clean energy. Our guest today is the Senior Director of Government Relations for the North Carolina Sierra Club. She's been with the Sierra Club since 2013. Our guest is an attorney who attended UNC Chapel Hill, and she is leading the North Carolina Sierra Club's work on electric vehicles in North Carolina. She worked with legislators and other advocates to fight a 2019 bill to raise electric vehicle fees in North Carolina to the highest in the country. And our guest worked with the Sierra Club volunteers to weigh in on the state's zero emissions vehicle plan and Volkswagen settlement spending plan. She previously worked in land protection with the North Carolina Coastal Land Trust in Wilmington. And in her free time, our guest enjoys kayaking and hiking. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's very special guest, Cassie Gavin. Cassie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. I'm excited to talk with you. Yes, definitely. And uh, as we were just discussing before, I am sitting under lots of PVC piping and insulation and looking at my washer and dryer because I'm recording today in my laundry room. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> and Cassie, how, how is your, how is your, what's your quarantine setup? Tell us a little bit about your quarantine setup. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I have a beautiful big backyard. So I'm looking out on a giant oak tree that's kind of blowing in the wind and I can see a little bit of the blue sky that seems so blue these days. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's jump into this conversation. We're talking about electric vehicles today, which really excited to have you on. You know, my my colleagues at NCSA, we're all brainstorming about an episode we wanted to do and we wanted to cover EVs for a while. 
and we are thinking about someone who could speak to the policy angle and some of the economic angle and then some of the some of the equity considerations that revolve around EVs and the first name that came up was Cassie Gavin and of course I know how awesome you are so we're so happy to have you on the show today. <laughs> I look forward to talking with you about electric vehicles. It's an exciting area. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so when people talk about clean energy, they often think about solar or wind energy or maybe energy efficiency, but a lot of the focus is placed on energy generation. So how do you see electric vehicles fitting into the clean energy conversation and why are EVs important to advancing a clean energy economy? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the focus is rightly on energy generation and it has been for a long time. Um, but as we're transitioning away from dirty energy, like coal and fracked gas, to clean energy like wind and solar, we also have to look at addressing transportation emissions to fight climate change, because now it's actually the biggest greenhouse gas contributor in the United States, and it's soon to be the first in North Carolina as well. So for my work with Sierra Club, electric vehicles fall under the umbrella of addressing climate change because there's no way we can avoid addressing transportation emissions. So, you know, the better our energy generation gets, the cleaner electric vehicles get. So we need to do both, but we can't ignore the transportation piece, basically. Definitely, definitely. So in October of 2019, the North Carolina Department of Transportation rolled out the North Carolina Zero Electric Vehicle Plan, which seeks to implement one of the goals that Governor Cooper outlined in Executive Order 80, which he issued at the end of 2018. So that plan was really the culmination of EO80 that came out a year earlier. Can you talk a bit about Executive Order 80 and some of the key takeaways from the ZEV plan? Because I know that you helped file comments on behalf of the Sierra Club. Yeah, we sure did. The Sierra Club weighed in um, during the stakeholder process um, for the Executive Order 80 required clean energy plan that our Department of Environment put together. And we're thrilled about the executive order and we're really appreciative of the clean energy plan. Um, that sets out how the state is going to meet that target. And it prioritizes equity and energy affordability in a strong way. So that's good to see. Um, that Executive Order 80 also directed our Department of Transportation to create that zero electric vehicle plan, the ZEV plan. So um, that we also weighed in on. And we totally support the goal of 80,000 electric vehicles by 2025, um, although we think the goal could be stronger in the future. So um, in the future, we'd love to see the ZEV target goal, you know, raised even higher. Um, and we think we think the state has a good chance of meeting that and going even above that. Sure. And one of the things you mentioned was the equity considerations that are so important for not just electric vehicles, but really the whole clean energy conversation. That's really been a topic that we've covered many times on squeaky clean talking about how we need to make the transition to a clean energy economy a clean energy future equitable so that everyone has access to the benefits of clean energy 
and access to electric vehicles, energy efficiency. So how can we make sure that everyone has access to clean vehicles? How can we do this in an equitable way? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question, Ben. Um, I think it's it's two parts. Um, and one is that, you know, we'd like to see clean transportation solutions really targeted at the communities that have suffered the effects of air pollution and climate change the most. So, you know, those people in those communities should be prioritized. And then second, you know, all of these clean energy technologies, whether it be EV cars, EV buses, um, EV school buses, EV ferries, uh, should be affordable and equitably distributed through the community so that there's not just benefiting, you know, certain communities. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about this last legislative session. So we're talking about the 2019 long legislative session, which was quite a long session. I know, Cassie, mm -hmm. you were there the whole time. And <laughs> wow, I think it was what the second longest session in North Carolina history. That's what I heard. It seemed long. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it was a long one, but it was also a very strong session for clean energy. It was. If you were following the the developments on Squeaky Clean, of course, we were talking about Senate Bill 377, which was the ban on wind energy that our coalition and partners were able to advocate against and stop, as well as stopping Duke Energy. Energy's proposal for multi-year rate plans in Senate Bill 559, which really took center stage uh, in the in the clean energy industry and, and and amongst our coalition during the session, because it was such a game-changing bill. It would have been the biggest change in electric rate making in over a hundred years. But aside from what we stopped, we also helped pass House Bill 329 among other things. So Cassie, mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about House Bill 329. What does it do and why will it help North Carolina achieve our zero emissions vehicle goal as set by Governor Cooper? Sure. Yeah, I agree. It was a good legislative session for clean energy. And it seems like every year there's broader bipartisan support for clean energy, everything and electric vehicles. So we're going in the right direction. Um, on House Bill 329, that basically fixed a, a utility law that had unintentionally limited electric vehicle charging options in North Carolina by basically treating charging stations like utilities. So they weren't allowed to function in the way that they should by charging customers for energy based on the amount of energy they use. So they, they were doing weird workarounds like charging customers for their parking spot, the amount of time they spent there, or other ways that don't really relate to the true cost of energy. So this right. bill basically fixed that. So now we can have a fair charging system that makes sense. And so now EV charging stations can set pricing actually based on the value of energy that is used. Um, so it was a needed fix and um, I'm glad it went through. 
Yeah, and so definitely big shout out to Representative John Zoka on this mm-hmm. one. He, in a lot of ways, was leading this charge, and we are really happy to see that this bill got bipartisan support, Democrats supported, Republicans supported, Duke Energy supported, which was a really important mm-hmm. piece. And, of course, all of us in the clean energy industry knew that this would open up business opportunities for charging stations because it's making it more transparent you know exactly you know if you go to one charging station and they charge on one system and then you go to another and they're doing another system this way with allowing charging stations to sell electricity directly to consumers without being considered a public utility it creates i think it creates a win-win situation for Mm -hmm. drivers because you know what you're getting and it also creates creates a a winning situation for charging stations because you don't have to, you know, find a workaround essentially because that's what they were doing to charge these vehicles. So I think, you know, something that we can use, kind of put it in our toolbox and and move forward this charging infrastructure that we know is coming. So I think it was a good foundational piece of legislation to set the stage for for the infrastructure that's to come in the future. That's right. I agree. So Cassie, what's next for EVs in North Carolina? And what are you most excited about for the future of electric vehicles in our state? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked a little bit about fleets, but I mean, I really, really think that electric vehicle fleets are the next big step that, that needs to happen um, at the government level. And I hope you know, private companies will get in on it too, um, because that can vastly increase the number of electric vehicles in a pretty fast way because fleets turn over pretty quickly. So I hope that we're going to see a lot more electric vehicles on our roads um, and that we'll have a much greater charging infrastructure in our state, um, potentially with the help of some Volkswagen settlement funds. Um, And so going forward, you know, I think electric vehicles are the future. Yes, electric vehicles are the future. And before we close out here, I can't let you get away with talking about the Volkswagen, mentioning the Volkswagen settlement without explaining it to our listeners because we're such curious listeners here on the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast that when you talk about something and and they don't know what it is, we mm-hmm. have to explain it to our smart, smart listeners. So very quickly, Give us a rundown of the Volkswagen settlement. I think people are going to be familiar about the larger Mm storyline, but how is it affecting North Carolina? Sure. I think, you know, folks may have heard that Volkswagen cheated on their emissions testing um, for a long time and got caught. And then basically there was a settlement in the United States for a lot of money. And North Carolina's share of that settlement is $92 million dollars that will be allocated you know, over a number of years to a variety of clean transportation um, projects. But part of that will be EV charging. So um, Sierra Club has advocated for the state to spend as much as they are allowed to on EV charging, which that is what's planned for the first third, but the second two thirds of that money are, are unplanned so far. So we'd like to see that investment in charging continue. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, it is 
quite a, a resource that North Carolina can use and hopefully we use it in the right way. But with people like you, Cassie, working to make sure that those funds are properly allocated, I believe that we can do it. And I know that we are in good hands with you leading so much of this policy development and we are so happy to have you in North Carolina but we were also very happy to have you on the squeaky clean energy podcast today so thank you so much for joining the show thank you so much Ben for having me I enjoyed it clean energy Our second guest today is Vice President of Account Management for EVGO, the largest public fast charging network in the United States. Our guest has been working in the clean transportation space for over 10 years, and her experience spans the entire sector, OEM management, consumer and fleet education, charging station site development and host engagement, public policy, utility engagement, and industry analysis. She earned her Bachelor of Science in Molecular Biology from Vanderbilt University and her Master of Environmental Science from Miami University in Ohio. Our guest serves on various electric vehicle steering committees and working groups throughout the eastern region. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's very special guest, Marcy Bauer. Marcy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be on. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we are really excited to have had Cassie on this show to talk a lot about EV policy, but of course, we know that the business environment for EVs in North Carolina is really taking shape. There are a lot of exciting things going on, so so happy to have a strong business voice on the show, and so happy it came from NCSEA member EVGO, so thanks for being with us today, and let's just jump into this. Marcy, can you tell me what EVGO does and what are you focused on right now in North Carolina? Sure, absolutely. So EVGO is the largest public fast charger company in the U.S. with more than 800 fast charger sites in nearly 70 markets across the country. We do level two charging as well, but our primary focus um, from the beginning has been public fast chargers, placing them at convenient, uh, attractive locations where people can get a quick charge while they're running other errands um, on their way between cities or between um, errands. So that's kind of been our, our main focus. In terms of our focus in North Carolina, uh, we're very eager to have the Volkswagen Dieselgate Settlement Appendix D funds released. Uh, we're, I, we've been eyeing those. We've been teeing up sites. We're very eager to build out under that program. Um, and so we're just sort of waiting and biding our time to see what happens with the funding release. Every state had the opportunity to raise their hand for funds that were um, drawn up in proportion to the impact that the diesel uh, Volkswagen diesel sales had in each state. So if they had a higher if a state had a higher volume of, of Volkswagen diesel vehicles sold in their state, they got a higher percentage of the of the funds under that particular appendix. Um, so every state had the opportunity to raise their hand for that. As far as I'm aware, every state did raise their hand for that. They can spend it on a lot, a lot of different things. Um, they can they can allocate up to fifteen percent of that pot of money for uh, charger infrastructure de uh, deployment. And so most states, with only a few exceptions, committed themselves to max maxing out that fifteen percent. So they were they're allowed to spend up to fifteen percent. And most states said we are going to do that. We're gonna we're gonna allocate 
the MAPS 15% to EV charging deployment. And North Carolina did the same. As far as I'm aware, the funds are, the, the program is developed and the funds are just pending release um, as, as they're caught up in the budget, um, <clears throat> the, the budget skirmish in North Carolina right now. But as soon as that's resolved, they should be released. And, and I know uh, EVgo and probably a lot of other companies have applications already filed. I'd like to go a little bit deeper with how COVID-19 has affected EVgo's work because as we know it's touched all industries and some are some are able to navigate it more easily than others and I'm wondering how it has affected uh, EVgo and what you've had to do to kind of recalibrate in this time. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, utilization of our chargers is down quite a bit, uh, 50 to 60 percent, as people rightly stay home to protect those who are most vulnerable and to protect those who have to be out and about to deliver their essential goods and services, our, our first responders and, and all those who have to be out. Um, we, we did uh, create a program called COVID Care, which offers a steep discount to those who have to be out or those who have been impacted by COVID where they've lost their jobs or their jobs have been scaled back dramatically, um, and, but they still have to be out on the roads and charging their car. Maybe they can't charge at home at all. And our chargers are the only ones that allow them to, to fuel their vehicle and, and run those essential errands. Um, so we're, we're really proud of that. But, you know, that said, the utilization being down is something it, it is a positive sign in a, in a way, in a, in a broader way, because it shows that people are staying home like they should be for the most part. Um, but it's obviously not great for our bottom line. Um, so right now we're mainly focusing on ways that we can help. And we're looking ahead at, as ha at how this might reshape transportation more broadly and how we can do our part to prepare for that and to drive that change to shape it so that it, it's more positive across the board. So, you know, all these stories coming out showing the skylines of various different cities that had, you know, previous issues with smog, pretty dramatic issues with smog, and that's just the visible air quality issues. Um, there, are, there are invisible air quality issues as well associated with fossil fuel uh, propelled transportation sector. So we're really interested in doing what we can to help push um, however transportation looks when we come out of this, have it look uh, a little bit less fossil fuel dependent, um, do what we can to, to shape that. <clears throat> sure. Yeah, man, we really appreciate the work you're doing there. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, my heart goes out to everyone that's being affected, but especially to, to your company as you're trying to do such good work. And I know it can be really difficult uh, and challenging in this time. So my next question would be, you know, we have a lot of policymakers and people that work in North Carolina to try to advance the clean energy future. And if you could make an ask, or if there was something that EVgo could encourage North Carolina to do to get more charging infrastructure, to get more EV, EVs on the road, what would you encourage our state to do? Well, as I referenced earlier, participation in the ZEV program, the Zero Emission Vehicle Program, uh, this, there are a number of states that have followed California's lead in um, requiring automakers to sell a certain percentage of, of their stock, um, uh, zero emission. And um, those the rules associated with that program are tightening up such that states can actually see an immediate benefit. They, it's The automakers can't just you know sell their credits between states anymore they have to actually 
you know, sell a, a, a large number of vehicles. And we're seeing shifts. Um, we're seeing adoption of that of that program, and it's very exciting, not just for EVGo, uh, but also for everyone who breathes air in those cities. So, um, you know, if if there are a variety of different ways to move in that direction, um, it is a pretty dramatic step for some states. Um, but but I, we've seen Virginia legislators sort of paving the way, not going whole hog to, to, to ZEV adoption right off the bat, but paving the way to be able to do that at some point in the future. Um, so if North Carolina could lean into that, um, especially on the heels of Executive Order 80 and with the ZEV plan, um, likewise, um, EV rebates, anything that can help um, encourage EV adoption. We're very excited about the prospects for fleet electrification uh, fleet offers economies of scale, both for the automakers that are producing the product that we need greater adoption of, but also for all the components downstream. Um, and again, for us, you know, the chargers are there. We just need them to be used more. And when they're used more, we can justify building more. So that's kind of the situation we're in where anything that encourages um, scale adoption of EVs is very exciting to us. So, Marcy, I know that right now is particularly a challenging time for so many. Uh, EVgo is experiencing challenges. I know many in the industry are experiencing challenges. But what is keeping you going at this point? What's your silver lining? And what are you most excited about for the future of EVs or EV charging? So, um, yes, COVID has affected our business. Um, it has certainly made uh, many aspects of it more challenging. But I think um, the most exciting thing to me personally is that we've still managed to build out quite rapidly in the mid-Atlantic, um, despite very challenging times. And we're doing so with safety measures put in place, of course, and we're not, you know, we're being very sensitive to all those who, who are involved in building these sites out. But just in the past two weeks alone, we've, we've uh, commissioned, I think, five or seven sites just in the past two weeks um, in Virginia, and we have a lot more in the queue. So um, that's been the most heartening that, you know, we can kind of do this essential work. You know, our, our chargers are like the gas stations of old, hopefully of old soon. Um, but they're, they're, you know, if, you, if you're a, a medical worker and you drive an EV, you need a charger to be able to do your work and get to work and get home safely. So um, in many states, especially out east, it's been considered um, essential work to continue construction on that and do so safely. And I'm just so proud of our team and uh, about of uh, on how they have been able to continue that work and and do it safely and sensitively, um, and keep bringing this asset not just to the um, to the drivers who need them, but also to the property owners that host them. You know they're struggling too, and so this uh, if they're able to do curbside and online ordered uh, curbside pickup type um, services, then anyone coming to fast charge can also, you know, continue to pair those essential errands at the same time. And so I'm just really proud of that, uh, of our ability to be flexible and nimble and sensitive and safe all at the same time in this super challenging time that we're in. Um, and I, and I am excited about the prospects of everyone having seen, like I said, those pictures of the skylines where you can actually see the buildings and, and this dialogue that you have, um, especially at the state and local level, um, there's a there is a lot of motivation 
And I think an increased appetite to really start to gel together some state and local policies and plans that can help keep those skylines clear even after people start to get back to work in greater and greater numbers. Sure. Wow. Well, that's that's really good news to hear, and it's inspiring to hear that you know you can still continue your work, and and I think you're also painting the picture that that EVs and EV charging is such a win-win. It's providing value to the to the driver, it's providing value to the property owner. So it's really exciting to see what's going to happen with the EV plan, and and what's going to happen with this Volkswagen settlement money. But happy to know that you are at the helm there for EVGo, and we really appreciate your work in advancing. North Carolina's clean energy economy, but we also really appreciate your time here today as a guest on Squeaky Clean. So thank you so much for joining us, Marcy, and uh, we hope that you stay safe and, and thanks for all the great work you're doing. Oh, it's truly been my pleasure. Thanks so much for the for the microphone for for 15 minutes just to share the exciting work going on. you have it folks the 28th episode of the squeaky clean energy podcast bringing the latest in clean energy right to your ears my key takeaway for this episode is that as both cassie and marcy mentioned north carolina is poised to be a strong leader nationally for electric vehicles and in order to solidify that status we need to execute on things like the zev plan and properly allocate our state's funds from the volkswagen settlement but with these awesome leaders like cassie and marcy at the forefront i know we are in good hands and again we are sending you our best as we all learn to navigate this trying time together and we hope you join us again in two weeks when i sit down with one of the top clean energy policy advocates in our state and that is the wonderful julie robinson stay safe out there y'all and have a great day